Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 377 Danger High Explosives Northern Front Baiting Line Marine 1st Battalion A Company all along the defensive works, Marines slept in their helmets and gear on. The land between the Marines and the Imperials were pockmarked with craters and bodies. The once waist-tall wild grass was flattened and charred from the spells and explosives. The Marines named the land between the two forces the baiting line. For once, the Imperials crossed the imaginary line. The Marines would attempt to bait the Imperialism and hit them with massed artillery fire. Surprisingly, the 1st Imperial Army remained steadfast and its men held their discipline, while its auxiliary troops' morale had long broken from the punishing fire of the artillery strikes. The Imperials had retreated for the third time in a good order, while the Marines cheered, and now the Marines were stirring up the sky, slowly brightening up, signaling for another attack soon. New orders! The platoon sergeant dropped down into Slow's fighting pit, we're going to stage a retreat, so pack up your essentials and leave the rest behind. Huh? Slow scratched his head. So we're running. Yes, the sergeant nodded as he waved over a couple of guys. A fake one. The demo boys were bringing up a whole place with explosives and mines. So get ready. We're going to stand on those boom booms. Slow's beady eyes enlarged in surprise as he watched the couple of combat engineers shove earth out of the floor and fortified position while another stacked crates of marked with double bold letters. Danger. High explosives on the side. Yes. The sergeant grinned. Don't worry, soldier. Nothing a good dose of high explosives can't solve. But Sarge. Lowe looked worriedly at the pile of explosives being planted around the area. What happens if one of those fireballs land here? That's why we're baiting them to close the baiting line, the sergeant replied. Once they close the line, we're giving them a good volley and we run. We're gonna let them think our weapons are exhausted and let them chase us. The sergeant explained, while those nearby all listened attentively. We'll stop the artillery fire and let them think that we ran out of ammo. Once they reach our lines, we'll drop everything on them. And if they take cover in our defenses, the sergeant gave an evil smile and patted the crates of explosives. Well, like I said, nothing a good dose of explosives can't solve. So suck it up, the sergeant said. These babies won't hurt you. Just remember to run as fast as you can and fall back lines the engineers are building. Fark! Slow sighed as the sergeant walked off down the lines. He looked at the engineers carefully burying explosives with soil and hiding detonation wires. You sure won't go boom? The combat engineer looked up and gave a shrug. It shouldn't. Just don't let it catch a fireball or a meteor spell. Oh, slow, no like this. First Imperial Army. The Lord General of the First Army watched as his legions formed up again for another attack on the rebels. The auxiliary forces consisting of slaves and penal legions were being whipped into positions before the legions. For the past few attacks, he had used slaves and penal legions as probes, letting them take all the damage while the hardened troops observed the enemy. He had noticed a casting rate of those screaming demon spells and the burst of the air had lessened in the previous attacks, and he nodded to himself, thinking that the rebel majors shouldn't have the ability to constantly cast those spells without rest. Now it was time for a full attack. With the mountain on the rebels' left and the forest with the deadly monsters at the rear and the order of knights cutting off the way to the city, these rebels would be crushed by the end of the day. He had even a veteran legions of all six of them arranged in two columns, one in each flank. 
In the middle were the slaves and penal legions, total of five legions, each legion roughly consisting of 10,000 bodies. At the rear of the main formation, sporting the slaves and penal legions, were the conscripted troops consisting of another two legions. He had no cavalry or knights with him, as he sent them all to a mission to cut off the city and the rebel forces before him. His dragons were badly mauled during the first few encounters by the rebel's strange demon-cursed flyers. The weapons and the rebels were also baffling to him. From experience, he decided to switch his tactics to dealing with ranged enemies. The thunder weapons were like crossbows, but many more times deadlier and harder to range. To deal with that, you only could do two things. One was close in as fast as possible and let the useless slaves and scum absorb the attacks while letting the veteran troops avoid the brunt of the attacks. Once the rebels had deleted the spells and the thunder weapons, that was when the veterans' legions would hit the enemy lines. Too bad, the general thought. His dragons were totally ineffective. If not, he would use his dragons to wreak havoc behind the enemy's lines. My lord, the aide stood up, respecting the general. The men have formed up and are ready. The general nodded and turned to his commanders. Order the first wave to attack, but no drums or trumpets. We want to keep the rebels unaware as long as we can for the first wave. Remember, keep the men spread out in groups. The most important thing is speed, speed. The commanders nodded and left their posts. The soon the banners and flags were waving as thousands and thousands of soldiers started to march. Two slaves and a penal legions marched forward before the rest. Once they were roughly 300 paces away, the remaining slave and penal legions started marching. The sight of thousands of men marching off into battle made the general smile with excitement. He mounted his land dragon and urged his mount forward till he arrived at the edge of the forest when the battlefield spread out before his eyes. The slave and penal legions, once they had all covered the forest, they quickened their pace, moving the double time to traverse the battlefield and close in on the enemy. Almost immediately, the cursed screens came from the skies and the thick black smoke erupted from the soldiers. The troops that were broken by the smoke fell like toy soldiers. They were barely any magic barriers nor mages, the slaves, and under the penal legions. They could only soak up the damage with blood and bodies as they advanced bravely under the punishment of spellfire. Soon, the deadly screaming spells lessened before stopping completely, making the general smile. He turned to his aide and said, It's time. Order an all-out attack. All legions, charge. Any soldier who brings me the head of the enemy commander will earn a hundred gold crowns from me. The horns trumpeted and blew loudly as the first of the first army readied themselves for the charge. They appeared out of the forest and advanced like a checkerboard across the battlefield littered with the dead. The one-speared screaming spells of the rebels were missing, making the imperial soldiers more confident as they double-timed across the battlefield. The first wave of legions soon appeared within range of the rebels' thunder weapons. The general, using a far-side spell, could hear the rumble and thunder and see the spell flashes along the line. Men suddenly clenched their bodies and jerked before falling down. He could see the first wave legion commanders yelling shortly after he heard the roar and charge coming from thousands of miles in the front. The first wave legions charged and fell as the rebels' fearsome thunder weapons rumbled and spit flames at them. The general smiled as the going according to plan. The first wave of slaves and penal legions were soaking up all the damage and depleting the rebel's spell power while each true punch was coming into range. 
He shook his head and it was clusters of men from the slaves and penal legions breaking off the attack, running for their lives. Still, he had anticipated a few waves morale would break, but the second wave would soon hit the lines before the veterans came in. Suddenly, they smiled when he saw the black figures from the rebel lines starting to retreat. One by one, the rebels abandoned their lines before the tickle of retreat turned into a flood. Order the legions to advance with all haste. Destroy the retreating rebels. We must destroy this force once and for all, or they will return and be a thorn in our rear. More signal horns and trumpets blew, signaling to the commanders in the front to move with more haste. Um, the general said to his aides and guards, we shall advance to the front and see how the enemy is routed. As the general and his retinue crossed the battlefield, he frowned when the roars of thunder constantly grew louder and longer. His mount soon climbed up the abandoned rebel defensive line and he saw a downside of the slope. Thousands of his soldiers were mired in some kind of obstacle which made his troops bunch together. No! The general stared in horror at the troops and realized that he was strict. Order the troops to scatter. Do not bunch up. Just as he finished his orders, the screams of spells came overhead and before his very eyes, his men were shrouded in explosions. No! Retreat! Order the troops to pull back! Retreat! Tell them to take cover in the tunnels! His aide frantically blew a signal horns in order to troops to retreat. Some of the legions heard the orders and fell back. Other legions, deafened by the sudden spell barrage, tried their best to weather the deadly spells with magic barriers and pure bodies while trying to break through the sharp metal ropes that blocked the way. Back! Back! The general roared furiously at his surrounding men. Get into the tunnels! He had noticed the enemy's spells were being cast in such a way that they moved up the land. How clever, he thought as he leapt off his mount and into one of the many dug tunnels and holes that the rebels used to defensive positions. He couldn't outrun the spells, and he didn't want to risk testing if his mage escorts could protect him. He ducked into the hole and dug into the side of the tunnel and ordered the mages to cast a protective barrier above him whilst he cast a luminescent spell to see the dark. He immediately noticed a smell of sweat and unwashed bodies in the tight confines of the hole. Tell the men to hold the tunnels. I cannot believe that the enemy has such a manner reserves to keep casting those spells. He said to his aides, who nodded and bravely ventured out of the underground cover to relay his orders. The earth shook wildly as the rebels' screaming spells landed above them. The magic barriers held, and there was only a light trickle of earth raining down from the earthen rooftop. The general sighed, thinking that he had got outplayed by the enemy. He half-crouched low on the roof chamber and noticed that the earth seemed to be disturbed next to his sabaton. He reached down with a gauntleted hand and swept loose the soil away. His metal gauntlets suddenly hit something hard under the soil and roused his curiosity. He dug under and revealed what seemed to be a wooden box. He swept as much of the soil away from the box and frowned as he tried to understand the bold white runes written on the side of the box. What in the heavens? He, bought none of the written news, could answer him. You, dig it up and tell me. Yes, Lord. One of the lifeguards bent down and started digging the box up with his hands. One more box was exposed. The side had white ruins could be seen more clearly. Danger. High explosives. End of chapter. Chapter 378. Fun and Games. Fire in the hall, the warning was echoed down the marine's line. Fire in the hall. 
Seconds later, the abandoned fortifications that the Marines used sweat and blood to construct and defend disappeared in a series of explosions that eclipsed the ongoing artillery barrage. The top of the ridge literally disappeared, as the buried explosives sent tons of dirt flying into the air. The explosion caught the majority of the 1st Imperial Army by surprise, but then again, many died without even knowing what happened. Those lucky enough to not get caught in the trap could only stare with a dumbstruck horror at the sudden eruption of the earth. Many fell to their knees in prayers as they thought the gods of earth were somehow angered, while the others ran away screaming in terror. The trap also killed most of the 1st Imperial Army's senior commanding officers, leaving the surviving troops leaderless. This crippled the 1st Imperial Army badly, as the troops were confused by conflicting orders. On the other hand, the Marines were waiting for their chance, supporting the artillery fire switching their fire patterns to creep barrage as the other Marines were advanced to come. Slow walked carefully over the dead and laid down fire with his MG-1 held casually in his hand. On his other hand, he held a small axe covered in gore. On his left and right were another member of his section, armed with the new M4 Magelock assault rifle. The Marines loaded 30-round box magazines with 25 rounds instead, as the spring of the new box magazines was not very reliable and would occasionally fail to load the rounds into the rifle if filled with 30 rounds. The magazines were intended to be disposable items, but due to storage and needs, the Marines quartermaster and armorers tended to reuse the magazines, thus causing the springs to weaken. Thus, the Marines learned just to load 25 rounds into the magazines, which extended the life of the magazines. Slow stepped over the moving body and tossed down his axe down, cutting off the life of the wounded Imperial before he sprayed a burst of small group of Imperials huddled inside a magic barrier. The bullets' impact sprayed sparks all over and made the magic barrier glow. A small display of fireworks drew the attention of the nearby Marines and they fired and advanced. Slow dug out his buried axe in the dead Imperial and watched as his platoon mates fired single shots at the magic barrier in a steady rhythm. The magic barrier glowed frantically under the steady barrage and the lead, and the small group of Imperials could only watch on desperately as the barrage depleted. Finally, with a loud pop, the magic barrier overloaded and the mage screamed as he suffered from the mage backlash. He flopped down in the middle of the ring of Imperial shields. The Imperial soldiers bravely yelled out a challenge and charged at the Marines, only to be gunned down before they could take two steps. Dumb bastards! The Marine next to Slow spat on the ground. They could have surrendered. All right, boys. Slow turned and saw the platoon leader call out from the rear. Mop up the area. We got blue boys on the run. Slow cheered along with the rest and continued their sweep, clearing off the pockets of remaining Imperials. By the end of the day, the First Imperial Army had ceased to exist. First Imperial Army, Order of Shadows Hidden Camp. The Joker sat with his legs crossed as he played around with a strange thunder stick. Around him laid parts of several disassembled thunder sticks. Interesting, interesting. What is it? Thos the knight was in full helm, walked over with a flagon of wine. Yeah. Smell this. The Joker tossed a metal barrier over to Thos. The rotten egg smell is sulfur. The stuff of demons. Thos nodded and dropped the barrel together with the other bits and pieces. Ha <laughs> ha. The Joker laughed and said, Means where we are so screwed. Why? Thos shook his seat and pushed up his plate till his mouth was exposed and took a sip of the flagon. If a bunch of peasants armed with these thunder sticks can kill us, knights from a distance of further than a crossbow, 
The Joker smilingly said, What do you think the demons armed with these weapons can do? Damnation! Voss slapped his face paper down. You're right. Also, if the peasants can kill us so easily with these, the Joker continued, Do you think the people will fear us any more? No, Voss nodded and said, You are right again. This is bad news. Well, not entirely, the Joker said. There are several ways to deal with this. One can crush the rebellion so hard that no one will ever dare raise up against them again, the Joker grinned. Second, we force out the secrets of making these thundersticks from the rebels that we crush them. And thirdly, we crush the rebels and find the demons behind them, the Joker laughed. Maybe we can make some deal with the demons. <laughs> hmm, Thos sighed. So either way, we'll just crush the rebels. <laughs> yes, the Joker laughed. So, did those scum talk yet? Thos nodded, and he bent down to pile the scarred poached and looked at the shiny golden tube. They say for the right rolls, they work. You need to load this inside. Hmm. The Joker took the shiny tube and rolled it in his fingers. What an exquisite craftsmanship. You think our craftsmen have this level of skill? The Joker said. Hard to tell. Though Thos gave a shrug. Maybe. No. The Joker sighed dramatically. You should go out more and look around. Our craftsmen can't even make something like this so easily. The Joker stood up and kicked a pile of gear. And these rebels have so many of these. How do you think they've gotten them to be made? Thos gave a shrug again. That's why we need to find out the secrets of these weapons, the Joker said. Every part here was made with perfection, and they're all identical with each other, which is our craftsmen have this ability. None. The Joker spread out both of his hands. Now bring me the prisoners. Thos gave a nod and lumbered off. The long time later, they returned with two bounded up rebels. Both rebels look worse for wear. The various injuries on their faces. The rest of the night seeing a good show came over to watch the gathered round. Thos kicked the knees and growled, Kneel! The Joker took out a dagger and sliced the ropes of the two rebels and smiled. I'm going to give you two a final lifeline. Whoever can kill the other one with the rifles gets released. The Joker's smile grew wider. And the game starts now. Both rebels stared at each other in surprise, but one of them acted. He bent down and grabbed one of the rifles off the ground and worked the bolt rapidly and squeezed the trigger. But there was just a snap as the bolt and he looked down to see the rifle in surprise. The other rebel with a cut over his forehead threw himself down on the other rifle and worked the bolt to check the chamber. He quickly looked around and saw a pile of load-bearing gear on the side. He ran over and started digging into the pouches just as the first rebel who acted did the same. The wounded rebel pulled out a strip of five rounds and slapped them into the chamber, well, as fast as he could. He slammed the bolt forward and fired the rifle at the standing hip position. A thick, smutty cloud of smoke burst out while the other rebel was thrown backwards from the blast. The surrounding knights roared with laughter and excitement at seeing the death. Even the Joker's smile went wider. He clapped his hands and waved away the lingering gun smoke. Good, good. The Joker had observed both rebels' actions using the rifle, and surviving rebel dropped the rifle and said, As per your promise, I am free to go, yes? Yes, yes. The Joker nodded and waved his hands, which the knights opened away for the rebel to leave. The rebel looked around him nervously and quickly ran off before the Joker changed his mind. He has yet to take five steps when a flash of silver slammed into his back. You! The rebel gasped in pain as he tried to reach behind his back at the dagger hilt protruding out of his back when another dagger slammed into the back of his neck 
and the rebel's lifeless body flopped face down. I did say that you could leave, but I didn't say alive or dead. <laughs> the rest of the knights laughed together with the Joker's joke. All right, disperse, fun is over, go do your stuff. The Joker bent down and picked up the discarded rifle and worked the bolt exactly like what the rebel had done and the shiny tube spun out, followed by a whiff of rotten eggs. He pushed the bolt forward again, resting the stock against his shoulder, and he tracked the barrel of the rifle, pausing at the beast slave kneading at the side. The beast slave trembled in fear when she saw her master aiming that dreadful weapon at her, and she cowered down. The joker grinned and squeezed the trigger and fouled a powerful kick against his shoulder, while the loud, thunderous roar of the rifle rang out of his ears. The tree trunk behind the cowering beast slave exploded as a heavy lead bullet slammed into the tree. The joker coughed and waved the gun smoke away and strolled forward to check the effects of his shot. Wow, he laughed, this is amazing. The joker poked his finger into the smoking hole of the tree trunk and dug out the hot piece of metal. This is fun. After that, he continued to shoot until the rifle ran dry. He recalled the rebel's hand placed the shiny tubes in the weapon and he repeated the actions using his memory. After that, he continued to fire at the tree trunks until he was satisfied. He tossed the weapon to Thos and said, Capture more of these weapons on our next attack, and more of those shiny bolts which are like your ammunition for crossbows, but with more power. Send two sets of weapons to the golden bolts back of the order, Joker ordered. I want the order's majesties to find out what and how they work. Thos nodded and then left to carry out his orders. The Joker bent over the cowering beastman slave and said, Don't worry, I won't kill you so easily. You've yet to be broken. <laughs> He walked back to the camp and gestured to the knights in training. The squires quickly ran over to do his bidding. Yes, my lord, go remove all the golden bolts from the pile of gear there, the joker pointed. He showed the youngsters the hollowed-out tube and said, Put this into one pile and this into another and count them. Yes, my lord. The squires quickly jumped into action and started removing the shiny bolts from the pouches. In the end, the squires gathered a total of 67 golden bolts and 10 empty bolts. The joker nodded and rolled one of the golden bolts in his fingers and said to the squires, Call for a war gathering. <laughs> it's time to go steal more of these golden bolts and rifles. The joker rubbed his hands. I'm sure those rebels won't be expecting these weapons to be used back at them. <laughs> this is gonna be fun. End of chapter chapter 379 one for the history books northern front city of foreledge forward defensive line heavy gunfire echoed out throughout the night the skies were lit up like the glowing traces floating around in the skies and parachute flares gouts of flame washed over the trench lines as imperial dragons swept down over the sdf positions Men and dragons screamed as they fought while guns thundered and roared. A dragon slammed right into a puff of smoke where an anti-share shell detonated midair, and hundreds of fifty-caliber-sized ball bearings ripped through its body and turning its crew and passengers into shredded meat. The lifeless dragon dropped like a rock and impacted the ground with a bone-breaking crash just before the bunker where the rock was stationed. Under the illumination of the flares, he stared at the bleeding eye sockets of a dragon that rattled out the last breath. The undefinitified bits and pieces of all secured to the dragon's harness leaked red stains then mixed with the dragon's blood pooling in the crater made for the dragon's crash. 
The rock turned his gaze away from the dead reptile and its crew and focused on the moving shadows that were trying to crawl their way forward to kill him. He felt conflicted as to where his loyalties laid as he fired at the crawling shadows. He was a Lord General in the Imperial Army, but defeated against the United Nations. Now he joined up the self-defense force as a soldier and fighting against his very own countrymen. Yet he knew if he returned to the Empire, he had a high chance that he would bear the blame for the loss. Even if the Emperor acquitted him of his defeat, the other nobles, jealous of his exploits or had bad blood with him, would take the chance to put him down. On the other hand, he could start a fresh year, provided that the UN could survive the Imperial forces, and looking at their current situation, it would appear that the UN were winning against the Empire. As he pondered about his fate, the land before him lit up as an artillery barrage rained down on the attackers and turned the night briefly into day. Under the sudden flashes of light, he saw the skies filled with numerous shapes of flying dragons. Damn! The rocks dared as the shadowy underbellies of the dragons. They must be trying to force an aerial crossing. As if to answer him, the 50 caliber machine gun nests and the 20 millimeter gun anti-air batteries fired fiercely at the fleet of dragons in the air. An air raid siren whooped in the distance and the rock crawled out of his bunker to watch the light show in the air. Thousands and thousands of traces darted into the skies in long arcing lines. Fires and a few strange magical light beams were shone into the skies, catching a few dragons in the glare. Poor bastards, the rock sighed. I wonder how many will see the sun tomorrow. Flight Lieutenant Lega, squadron leader of Goldwing, peered into the darkness before him. He could barely see the terrain below him, even with the help of the parachute flares that the ground artillery were lobbing into the skies. He knew that the airspace was very crowded with lead, artillery shells, and even enemy dragons. His wings of twelve was flying and upgraded super cobras and keeping the station above the night battle when a panic calls from the ground SDF units about sightings of hundreds and hundreds of dragons. He looked over the sight of the bubble cockpit and under the brief flashes of the explosions, he saw the illuminated silhouette of dragons appearing. The next thing he knew, the friendly lion suddenly erupted in a frenzied mess of tracer fire. Crap, he cursed. Gold eater to all. Scatter, scatter. The flight of twelve super cobras broke formation and rolled away from the sudden barrage of deadly ground fire. Gold lead to SDF ground looters. Check fire, check fire, goddammit, blue on blue. The number of tracer rounds ceased was a word got through to the ground units, yet the problem of the Imperial dragons in the area of the operations remained. Legos and his pilots would barely see anything in the dark, while several anti-air defenses on the ground were shooting discriminately at anything in the air. All right, Gold Group, Legos finally made a decision. Low squadron, drop 500 and pop your flares over friendly lines. Rest of the squadrons wait for our lizards. Our time, our own targets. Gold 5, Gold 6, 7 and 8 made up the low squadron as they looped around and dropped their altitude till 500 meters above sea level. Gold 5 and squadron leader yelled the command for his squadron of four planes to drop flares as they flew over friendly lines. The flares used for signaling and the battlefield illumination rapidly fired out in a V formation as the rear of the four Super Cobras. Instantly, the skies below the four planes lit up brightly and several Imperial Dragons were exposed, their crew and passengers staring up in surprise at the golden light. Gold lead to all. Engage. Legos yelled into the radio. Watch out for friendly fire. 
the other seven planes of the Gold Wing dipped their wings and charged down towards the exposed dragons, which were trying to flee away from the flares and hide in the dark. More bullet traces floated upwards as the exposed dragons at the same time as the Super Cobras dived out to kill. Legos yelled into the command radio. SDF ground unit cease fire. Freaking hell. Cease goddamn fire. Thankfully, the anti-air died down, giving the Super Cobra pilots some comfort. They chased the fleeing dragons with ease, as the dragons were overburdened with troops and supplies. Legos managed to keep an eye on one of the heavyweight dragons that disappeared into the glow of the dying flares. He kept his crosshair at where he guessed the dragon would be and squeezed the trigger. Firing his twin 20mm gun pods, bolts of fiery red traces flicked out into the night for a brief moment. The silhouette of the dragon could be seen from the shell impacts. Legos grinned fiercely as he saw the dark shadow fall off the skies and ordered into the radio. All group, drop flares and engage at will. The pilots of Gold Group obeyed and soon the night turned into a hunting ground of super cobras. It was forever remembered as the worst imperial aerial defeat in the course of aviation history for barely a third survived. UN, City of Haven, Fortress Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Blake rubbed his tired eyes as he read the live report streaming into his computer. An engagement here, a skirmish there, or reports of an enemy movement were all being displayed on the screen. He scrolled through some of the reports and read the detail in others. Richard, Shireen frowned as she entered Blake's office. It's too late. Why are you still at work? Blake looked up and gave a smile to his wife. The Imperials are attacking all along the North Front, and we don't know if it's a coincidence or planned. Shireen stood behind Blake's chair and stared at kneading his shoulders. You got subordinates to oversee everything. You shouldn't push yourself so hard. You are the head of a state. If you fall ill, it'll not bode well for the nation. Relax, dear. Bake patted Shireen's hand. I know what I'm doing. I'm just finishing up on the reports. Hmm. Shireen's frown deepened. I know it's important, but you still need to look after your health. I know. Don't worry, Blake smiled. Go to bed first. I'll join you once these are finished. Shireen sighed and nodded. Make it quick. Blake's smile remained until Shireen left his office. His smile turned to a frown and he turned to the alarming reports of the battles at the front. He tapped his keypad and the tone beeped. After a while, the image of Colonel Frank appeared. Sir, did I wake you? Blake asked as he continued reading the incoming reports. No, sir, Colonel Frank replied. I'm going through the same reports and strategies with my team. Okay, Blake nodded. I'm reading these reports here about the ability of the SDF stationed at Ballage. Their performance isn't up to any standards. Colonel Frank turned off the screen and picked up the report before he nodded. Yes, sir. Seems like they got the short end of the stick if they're up against the night order. I see, Blake replied. So what are the countermeasures? I'm pushing up 9th Battalion as a support, just in case those superhumans like the knights break the SDF lines, Colonel Frank said. The 9th should arrive in the morning and reinforce the line. And the eyewitness reports on the Imperials stealing our weapons and gear? Blake asked. Is that information verified? Colonel Frank reached off-screen again with another report before he replied. Yes, sir. We got several confirmed eyewitnesses saying the Imperials were grabbing several old M1 mage locks off SDF. So it's a matter of time. They learn how our weapons work, Blake sighed. I was hoping we could at least have another season or two. Anyway, can 4-Ledge SDF hold off the knights before the 1st and 2nd Battalions mop up the 1st Imperial Army? Blake asked. They should, especially with the support from the 9th, Frank said. But, um, all down the line, the Imperials are launching attacks. 
Is it deliberate? Frank asked. No, naval intel has found no indication of such a plan, Frank replied. But at the same time, I placed all units on full alert in case the Imperials had some grand scheme going on. We can't afford to drag this war, Blake said. Our industry is still growing stages and our stockpiled munitions and weapons will not be enough for a prolonged war at this rate of munitions and fuel that we are burning. And not to mention the funds. Frank nodded. Yes, sir. The boys at Strategic Planning and Command are coming out with plans to ensure that we do not fall into the pit, sir. Good, Blake replied. I don't want to sell more of our tech stuff to the Isles, nor do I want to ask them for help. I doubt we can afford their services. Understood, sir. We already are making good progress in the right flank, Frank said. Once the 1st and 2nd Battalions clear all Imperial forces around Forledge, we can start taking the offensive to the Imperials. Make it so, Blake said. I got a goblin raider spotted along the Groblin Seas, which means that they are coming in for their annual raid along the coast. This crap will drain more resources from the main war at the north. And our navy is severely under strength, Frank added. I understand, sir. Good. By the way, get some sleep. You need it, he said before he signed off. He leaned back in his chair and stared at the map of the new world mounted on the wall facing him. Once all the Imperial armies were defeated, Blake was very sure the Emperor would call for a truce or maybe even come for peace agreements of sorts. If that were the case, just a couple years of peace would ensure that the United Nations would solidify its strength to overwhelm the Empire should the Emperor break the peace, and two years would also give the Navy enough time to build up its fleet to destroy the Goblin Island once and for all, making the Goblin Sea free of all pirates and raiders for the future. But first, they had to defeat the remaining three Imperial armies at their doorstep. End of chapter Chapter 380 Rolling Thunder Second Imperial Army Camp, center of the front. The general in charge of the second army paced about his tent in frustration. Razors with burning coal lit the warm the tent against the night. His army of a hundred thousand was bogged down by numerous enemy forts. Defenses laid before their path of advance. The rebels were like the pesky prairie burrows. Which liked to dig burrows, and hunters who hunted the prairie burrowers for their pelt had to stop and check each and every mound. And that was not all. The rebels had developed some kind of hit-and-run tactics, laying traps and ambushes out of nowhere. His best trackers tried his best to track down the rebels, but they always came to a dead end as the rebels' tracks seemed to stop in the middle of a field and vanish into thin air. His dragons also fared poorly against the rebels' demonic flying crosses, the rebels' flyers could outfly the fastest lightweights and even take the strongest heavyweight dragons in command. Thankfully, those thrice-cursed giant flying crosses no longer appeared to hound his forces with their egg-shaped firebombs. The general paused in his tracks and glared at the retinue of shrank back from his fearsome glaze. Another supply camp destroyed. Was the rebel scum's caught this time? The men in command tent looked at each other and sheepishly before the bearer of bad news bowed his head. No, Lord General, the rebels had disappeared before the trackers managed to find them, the bearers said. Again, the general roared and slammed his fist against the table. Again and again. Are you fools? How can a small group of rebel scum sneak in and out of our lines? Are you all blind? The men all kept their heads down and remained quiet as their Lord General's tirade. How many men do we have? Yet the rebels couldn't even be caught every single time. Find them, 
The general roared, Use all means, but find them, or you lot will be hanging by the end of the day. Go! The general's retinue, frightened by his threat, all rushed out of the tent to carry out the general's orders. Damn you, rebels! The general sat down. Curse you! Three kilometers from the extraction point, the shadowy figure in the front suddenly froze and shut up a clenched fist. Instantly, the men behind him froze as well and never slowed as lowing to a crouch. The point man gave a thumbs down to indicate the presence of an enemy and raised two fingers followed by a fist and pointed. The section leader nodded and spread his fingers before his face and waved at the men to deploy on the left and right. The glow of several torches slowly came into view as the patrol of Imperial soldiers marched over. The marines could hear the Imperials grumbling as they stumbled in the dark in such an ungodly hour trying to find rebels that had earlier just burnt down a camp filled with supplies. The section leader chopped his hand down on the section of marines fired their suppressed rifles in seconds later. The entire column of Imperial soldiers lay dead or dying. Stamp the fires out! The section leader hissed. Then silence those still alive. The marine raiders moved out to cover the startled and grim job of finishing off the wounded and dying. Others stamped on the fallen torches and the area once again was shrouded in darkness. Trap the bodies, the SL ordered. The couple of marines removed pins from grenades and carefully rested the bodies on the Imperials facing downwards on top of the grenades, arming them. Should the bodies be turned over, the arming spoon would then bounce off and whoever was standing there would get a belly full of shrapnel. Hurry up! The SL checked his illuminated watch face. Pick up coming soon. Done, Sarge! The marine setting the body traps replied. Let's go! The SL waved his men forward as they silently left the area. Archer used to be a hunter until he got caught by the Imperial soldiers for poaching inside the Emperor's forest. He was given a choice, lose an arm or become a slave or serve the Empire army. Now he served the same Emperor as a tracker for the 2nd Imperial army. He was not the best, nor was he the worst tracker in the army, and tonight he was roused by his thin bedding to track a group of rebels that had sneaked past the Imperial lines and torched a camp full of supplies. He squatted down and carefully observed the ground under the light of the burning torches. There were a few trampled points on the soil and lowered his head into ground level. Looks like a small group of them heading that way, maybe five or eight people. The Imperial captain nodded and shouted a few commands to his men, who climbed to their feet and got ready to move. Just stood up and followed the tracks while the rest of the soldiers followed behind him. Archer suddenly stopped and sniffed the air. He touched the leaves and the undergrowth and hissed, I can smell blood. The Imperial soldiers immediately readied themselves to cast alert glances around their surroundings. Archer crept forward and yelled at the soldiers to come. We're too late! The bodies of the Imperial soldiers laid sprawled where they had been ambushed. The smell of blood had attracted a few small night scavengers and were scurrying off when the soldiers appeared. The Imperial captain growled at the sight while the other soldiers felt anger seeing their own dead. Archer slowly and carefully bent over the terrain around the bodies as he studied the ground for any tracks of the rebels. He frowned and picked up a large vine ring with a piece of slim, two-pronged metal attached to it. He held the strange ring up to the light and observed the fine craftsmanship, and slipped it into his pocket and returned to observing the ground around the bodies. He noticed the bodies were not looted, despite the number of tracks around them. Strange. The Imperial captain came up next to Archer, squatting down one of the bodies and asked, What now, tracker? Captain, 
Archer stood up and said, Their tracks head that way, but I find it strange that they did not loot the bodies. The Imperial captain was a veteran of several wars and he knew the basic soldier's instinct was to loot the dead. He too found the words of the tracker to be strange and turned around to see one of his own men going through the bodies of the dead for coin or food or drink. Suddenly, realizing something, the Imperial captain yelled to his men, Stop! Don't move the bodies! But his words came too slow as some of the soldiers had already rolled the dead over and there was a soft metallic pang sound. The soldiers paused as their captain yelled, but at the same time they looked down at the cause of the noise. One of the soldiers even picked up the small, dark egg-shaped object when the triggering grenades blew up one by one. The marine raiders jerked to a halt as a ripple of thunder echoed down the forest. Damn, they're almost on us. Double time, the SL said. Ignore stealth. The marine raiders quickly moved faster through the undergrowth as they had closer to the rendezvous point for their pickup. They only barely traveled 15 minutes before the explosions came them way, meaning that the enemy was very close to the tail. Hopefully that trap will stop and confuse them, the marine raider yelled. We are nearly at the extraction zone. The marines kept up their pace and finally emerged from the forest and out into a large field of chest-height waving grass. SL turned to the radio man and said, Call it in. The men spread out in a defensive circle automatically and kept watch of the surroundings while the radio men radio for extraction. Griffin 60 to Romeo. Do you copy? Over. Griffin 60, read you loud and clear. Romeo requesting immediate extraction to point Alpha. Over. Roger, Romeo, stand by. Five mics. The marines remained tensed as they waited for the helo to come in and pick them up. They did not know if there were any Imperial pursuits nearby. Five minutes crawled by slowly, and suddenly there came a roar of rotors growing loud as the helo came nearer and nearer. Pop the flare, the marine sergeant ordered as one of his men, ripping the ignition tab off the flare stick and instantly an eye-searing red glow and sparks hissed out. The marines waved the igniter flare at the approaching blackened-out helo. They saw a large shadow descend from the heads and the tail cargo doors opened, exposing a red-lit internal camp and... Quick, quick, Marines, get in! The Marines fell in the back towards the hovering CH-1 flying banana and quickly boarded. The short goblin crew chief didn't even wait for the last man to completely get in the helo before slamming the button shut for the rear hatch. The goblin yelled into his oversized headset, Marnie's all on board! The pilot applied power to the rotors of the helo and swung forward as it shot up over the treetops and headed back to the base, while the marines on board grumbled as some of them had yet strapped in. Come on, Watts, can't you wait for us to buckle up before you tell the pirate to take off? Can't help it slow, Marnie's slow. Watts Goblin rolled his eyes behind the cool aviator shades. You make a pickup slow. Get on board slow. Sit slow. Now tell me slow down. Crap. We might have missed Greg, but please no, not another wise-ass goblin. One of the marine raiders mumbled. What you say? You say Greg? Watts' eyes glittered behind his shades. Greg the best, Greg. Oh yeah, all gobs want to be Greg. Please, no. The second imperial camp. Archer limped his way towards the Lord General's ornately decorated tent as he's summoned by the general himself. Several lifeguards and generals gave way to him as he brought into the tent. Inside the tent, interior was more gaudily decorated with large table being the centerpiece. He swallowed nervously as he saw the number of nobles and senior commanders all watching him from all sides while the Lord General sat at one end of the table. Archer went down on one knee and bowed. 
Your humble servant, my lord. Tell me, word by word, what happened to the scum that burnt down my supplies? The Lord General spoke from his seat. And how did they escape? Yes, yes, my lord. Archer nodded fervently as he started to narrate everything from tracking the rebels to finding the trap and finally how the tracks had just stopped in the middle of nowhere. He did not mention that he used the captain's body to block the deadly effects of the trap when it went off, thus gaining his life. Again, the Lord General's expression was dark as it was always the same. The rebel will disappear in an open field with the tracks stopping there. My lord, the archer spoke, there is one more thing. What? The general's furious gaze landed on Archer, making him tremble at sight. I, I, well, well, we, we all heard, heard something loud. The archer sought the words to describe what the surviving soldiers heard. I, like a dragon warring in the stop, or a, something like a rolling thunder that went on endlessly. The sound disappeared later, and then we followed the tracks and found the rebels had disappeared. A continuous rolling thunder. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated, and I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.